Chapter twelve of sixteenth century Bristol by John Latimer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter twelve. The heavy exactions on the city in the shape of ship money and the refusal of the Somerset gentry to contribute their quota of the impost appear to have temporarily shamed the government into a more liberal policy instead of exhorting funds for feeding and shipping off troops for ireland as had been previously the invariable custom remittances were sent down with the soldiers in fifteen ninety seven and confided to the corporation and on july the fifteenth the privy council in the letter to the mayor william yate greatly commended that gentleman's arrangements for victualling and transporting eight hundred men a course of conduct they added that contrasted widely with the waste and private stealing that had been many times experienced at other ports such trust so honourably discharged continued the letter moved the council to think the mayor met to undertake further services and he was therefore desired to buy up and transport victuals for the irish army which was clearly unable to find food in the devastated island the customer of bristol had been ordered to advance money for carrying out these directions and the justices of the neighbouring counties including south wales were required to render the mayor assistance in obtaining supplies the considerate policy of the court was of short duration the next mention in the civic records of the migration of troops is a minute of a meeting of the common council specially convened to demand loans from the members for feeding and transporting the men dumped down upon the city authorities down to this period the meat market of the city was held in the open streets and the setting up of stalls in the narrow thoroughfares must have greatly impeded locomotion in fifteen ninety eight the executors of robert kitchen in accordance with the powers conferred upon them by the alderman's will devoted a portion of his estate to the erection of a covered market in the rear of a house on the east side of broad street and transferred the building to the corporation who undertook to distribute the rents derived from standings in charitable benefactions it would appear that the butchers were by no means desirous of being removed from their usual positions and the common council finding it prudent to respect ancient customs were content to deal with the country tradesmen who brought in meat on market days the foreigners being ordered in april fifteen ninety nine to sell exclusively in the new market even this arrangement however was unsatisfactory to the resident purveyors who speedily complained that their stranger rivals instead of hastening to dispose of their goods and depart as had been their previous habits now compensated themselves for the tolls by loitering in their new quarters to the great injury of local traders and bending to the free burgesses the council ordered in the following june that the countrymen should close their stalls at two o'clock in the winter months and an hour later in summer the market was nevertheless still obnoxious to the bristol butchers 
and the civic rulers soon after appointing a committee to consider the desirability of closing the building altogether the committee never produced a report and there are indications that the selfishness of the complaining clique who doubtless wished to establish a monopoly brought about a corporate reaction on december the fourth in consequence of an inordinate advance in the price of candles the council requested the mayor and aldermen to make an inquiry into the rates which the butchers were demanding for tallow and to fix a reasonable price at which candles should be thenceforth sold the butchers seem to have proved refractory for the ordinance to redress the excessive price of candles giving chandlers in the neighbouring country districts full liberty to bring in and sell any quantity of candles notwithstanding the ordinary laws against foreign commodities a concluding reference may be made to the cost of travelling in elizabethan days in the summer of fifteen ninety nine after a view of the city trained bands the chamberlain made a journey to wilton to present the muster roll to the earl of pembroke lord lieutenant and not finding his lordship at home followed him to court the worthy official was fifteen days on his travels but his inn expenses and those of his manservant including keeping for two horses amounted only to six shillings eight dimes per day the hire of two horses cost two pounds and the servants wages were eight dimes a day when in london the chamberlain took the opportunity to present the clerk of the privy council for intelligence with an irish rug purchased for two pounds at this time a swarm of government officials received small pensions from the corporation including the clerk just referred to the clerk of the crown the clerk of the exchequer and clerk of the estreats the later named consenting to an except four shillings two dimes a year or about a penny per week the story of the spoliation of the bristol friaries by henry the eighth narrated in the early part of this book is recalled to memory by an incident at this period that might have furnished a new illustration to the celebrated spellman when inditing his denunciation of sacrilege the carmelite friary which stood on the site of the present colston hall together with a portion of his extensive gardens was acquired for insignificant sum by the corporation who soon afterwards sold the building and part of the ground to alderman thomas chester the large upper gardens extending to what is now park row fell into the ever greedy hands of sir ralph's sadlier by whom they were sold to a bristol merchant named rowland early in the reign of elizabeth a gentleman named john young who had estates in dorset and wilts determined to settle in this city where several of his ancestors had been men of mark and having taken up his residence in the above friary he resolved on constructing an imposing mansion on the site in february fifteen sixty eight he accordingly purchased the old building from alderman chester and proceeded so vigorously with the erection of his great house that it served in fifteen seventy four for the fitting reception of queen elizabeth 
and her numerous suite during her week's sojourn during which its owner was knighted in reward for his hospitality sir john was not satisfied with this capacious residence in fifteen seventy eight he purchased from the corporation the remaining part of their estate consisting of a house and garden previously in the occupation of nicholas fawn and he at the same time acquired rowland's lodge and garden on stony hill on this latter spot he forthwith set about the construction of the large mansion now known as the red lodge the beautiful internal decoration of which remains to attest his cultivated taste and ample means sir john died in fifteen eighty nine and it may be noted that at the usual inquest held by the crown to discover the extent of his estate the jury declared on their oaths that the yearly value of the great house was fourteen shillings and that of the red lodge twenty shillings the late owner left an only son robert then nineteen years of age within seven years of his attaining his majority this young man appears to have dissipated most of his fortune and to have been over head and ears in debt and on march twenty ninth fifteen ninety nine being about to adventure as a soldier in ireland and desirous of protecting his bristol estate from seizure by creditors he conveyed both the mansions to his half-brother nicholas strangeways their mother's right to reside in the great house for life being reserved strangeways probably disposed of the red lodge but nothing more is recorded about it in the great red book at the council house the prodigal returned from ireland where he obtained the title of knight but was probably poorer than ever soon afterwards in conjunction with strange ways he sold the great house for six hundred and sixty pounds to sir hugh smythe of long ashton and then vanished from history nothing being known of his ultimate fate the great house subsequently became the residence and factory of two notable sugar refiners john knight followed by richard lane both of whom were mayors of bristol the widow of lane conveyed the mansion in seventeen o eight for one thousand three hundred pounds to edward colston who there established his great school parliament having voted the queen a subsidy in fifteen ninety nine a meeting of the common council was held in january sixteen hundred to assess the members of that body preliminary to the collection of the impost the proceedings though outwardly grave were really of a farcical character a subsidy in boroughs was a tax of two shillings eight dimes in the pound on the value of each citizen's personal property and in the middle ages it was doubtless that onerous burden but as each community was assessed by royal commissioners selected out of resident inhabitants the gentlemen chosen with a tender respect for the pockets both of themselves and their neighbours gradually reduced the charge by underestimating the value of the goods assessed and the results eventually assumed ludicrous proportions thus on the above occasion although several members of the council were merchants of great wealth with extensive stocks of merchandise the maximum value of the property of any of them was alleged to be twenty pounds 
and only fourteen were stated to be worth that amount their less notable colleagues escaping with an assessment of ten pounds the charge imposed on the general mercantile and trading class is not recorded but was doubtless framed on a singular basis it may be fairly assumed that on the average the assessment did not represent so much as one twentieth of the actual property of the taxpayers having made this assessment the common council proceeded to make use of it for other purposes the roads leading into the city were generally in an execrable condition and in sixteen hundred were so abnormally bad as to force the corporation to take action on april the twenty second it was accordingly resolved that every inhabitant scased assessed in the subsidy book should pay after the rate of fourpence for every pound so scased and that his money should be employed in the reparation of the highways within the city liberties it was further ordered that every householder free from the subsidy tax should work one day in the mending of the roads for the space of eight hours bringing his own pickaxe and shovel at such time as he should be warned any person refusing to pay or to work was to incur a double penalty this system of compulsory cooperation was in august applied towards maintaining the trained bands wealthy citizens being required to pay the wages of one or more of the troopers summoned to the yearly muster and to furnish each of such men with a coat the penalty for disobeying the latter order being twenty shillings per man members of the common council were further required to provide arms and armour for the soldiers and fifty corslets forty-five guns a few pikes and twenty targets were forthwith brought in the corporation being in need of money it was next resolved to raise five hundred pounds by loans for four years the interest on which probably eight or ten per cent was ordered to be defrayed by the members of the council who were to be taxed upon the basis of the subsidy book finally the old law was revived whereby a citizen was forbidden to sue a fellow burgess in any court save those of the mayor and sheriffs a person who had been presumed to raise an action of this kind in one of the courts at westminster was fined ten pounds and on refusing to pay the penalty was discommoded and dealt with as a foreigner a final extract brief but interesting may be made from the chamberlain's accounts fifteen ninety nine july paid for the site of the model of bristol seen by mr mayor and mr alderman five shillings what would the dignitaries of the twentieth century give to behold this remarkable picture of bristol in the olden time end of chapter twelve end of sixteenth century bristol by john latimer recording by elaine webb bristol england